At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we did. Government is the problem. Welcome, everybody, to a liberal and a conservative. We'll walk into a bar. My name is Matt, and I'm a liberal. My name is Tim. I'm a conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and check out our website at Libson, Lib, LibCon. Damn it. I'm going to get through that all the way through. What? Why? going to get through this. What have I done this? What's gonna happened to me? going to get through this. Lord. Libcon.podbean.com. Find me on Twitter. I'm at Libcon Matt. Tim is at Libcon Tim. Buy Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Want. Check out the blog and trailer for my production company's new film. It is called Sphere of Influence, and it is on SphereofInfluenceMovie.com. I'm sure by the time you hear this, we'll be dead, and all of American society will have crumbled into dust. Uh, or, by the time you hear this, Donald Trump will be president, one of the two. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about President Obama. And then we have a fairly large discussion on uh, big government that we're going to talk about along with a few other smaller things. Uh, Tim's going to wrap it up with something cool. But in the meantime, how are you, friend? Are you excited? Tomorrow's a big day. Tomorrow is a big day. But I've heard that uh, he's going to take some time off uh, before he actually gets started. So day one of his presidency actually isn't. Tomorrow, he's declared day one of his presidency is January twenty third. You're you're kidding me, right? No, just for all the celebrations and everything, he wants to you know enjoy that and then really hit the ground running uh, on the twenty third. On so Monday. it's not really a day one kind of thing. There, it's no, not really a day one. I mean, it's really more. Yeah, you know. Well, it's he more, is going to have. Are stressful. He is going to have a big blowout bash with three doors down and Toby Keith. So, hey, don't know, hate on Toby Keith. I can't hate on Toby Keith, but I can't. You know what? The, see, here's the thing: the three doors down thing kills me because, like, I couldn't remember for whatever reason I had forgotten about Superman. So, like, I like they they sort of like with blended in with like Creed. And uh, and like uh, uh, like later Goo Goo Dolls and and uh, you know uh, just th- that sort of grumpy not grunge post grunge crap that came out in the early aughts and I, I just I couldn't remember late nineties early aughts it all sort of blended together and and I, I had to look them up because my memory had failed me and and I thought wow three doors down <laughs> now I remember that'll that'll be huge. But the thing with the thing with Toby, like I have no problem with Toby Keith, I, and I appreciate what he said about why he's performing. It's a it's a perfectly good you know explanation. Uh, that, that's totally fine. But I like I I like should have been a cowboy Toby Keith. Okay, I I, I read Solo Cup Toby Keith. I, I find cold. I, I will I will admit to uh, liking that Toby Keith better, not as a person, but just as a. The songs I liked, I liked, yeah, Should Have Been a Cowboy was pretty much a signature song for me back in the day, so. Yeah, it was, yeah. yes. It was sort of your theme that song. Was, that was my theme song. That it, was my jam. Back really when I wore a cowboy hat. Yeah. Back when you wore, your, yes, your, 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 your black cowboy hat that you one. lost to a stripper. I had lots. <laughs> I had lots. I had the black one or the white one. I had that straw one that I wore all the time. Oh, I was the straw one. I forgot then. about I yeah, forgot about that the one. That one really good. I, yeah, yeah, I always had a hat. It was a, yeah, it was a thing. I said, there, there are not many, you know, there are just not that many men that can pull off a cowboy hat. 
And and you may be the only, one of the only friends that I know that I think genuinely could pull that off. Because I did. couldn't pull off the real cowboy hats, but I pulled off the straw one. The straw one I, I pulled know. off. I felt like the real cowboy hats you pulled off pretty well. No, nah, I think you just like, got used to me looking. You just got used to me in them. <laughs> really? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, think I I don't know, dude. That's you know, like in cowboy boots, these are very specific things. Pimp suits. I I know like two people that could that can in normal social situations pull off pimp suits. Like if they walked in into a room in a pimp suit, I don't think anyone would blink. It would just be like, yep, they're in a pimp suit and they pull that off. Anybody else that just they get overworn by the irony. So, but regardless of of any of these things, I think it goes without saying that Donald Trump could not pull off a pimp suit. However, he is going to be inaugurated as the president very soon. I do not want to have a discussion about Twitter tonight. Deal. Not, I mean, it, I'm certain it's going to come up, but I do not want to talk about this crap. I really don't. He's been tweeting a lot and saying some stupid shit on Twitter. I think for the next four years, we can just assume that that's going to be the normal course of business. So if we're talking about the president, assume that we're aware that he got on Twitter and said stupid shit. Agreed? Agreed. I think this makes sense. That said, there, there have the one thing that, that, uh, that I find amazing is that his his penchant to try to sell himself has not stopped. If anything, it's gotten worse uh, because he's still going on about the about the damn election. Uh, this is the greatest collection of celebrities ever to descend on Washington. If you listen to him and Sean Spicer, uh, I don't I don't I, I don't really care about that. The one thing that he is talking a lot about has been his approval ratings, which suck. He is by far lower than any modern president since they since anybody started tracking approval ratings like down in, easily in the 30s. Obama was at like 80 at this point for comparison. Now, of course, he's tweeting about them. One of the things that he's tweeting about them is, well, sad approval polls. Wrong about election. Trump good. Press bad. Blah. But first of all, do you think he's right? Is, is he right about not being able to trust them? You know, because there's all this talk about we couldn't trust the election polls, which I think is a little overblown. But well, I mean, I, I think I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I, I think approval ratings are probably, you know, still a reasonable can give you a reasonable feel of things. But I mean, after Brexit and after our election, I don't see how anyone could honestly say there's nothing wrong with the way that we're currently doing our polling and that sort of thing. Because uh, those were two two pretty huge misses there. Um, so, you no, know, I would I would definitely say that I don't I don't think he's wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but. but- Okay, but but, but let's let's think about this for just a second because the, okay, so the the polls in a lot of states showed Hillary winning by very small margins, and they were always within the margin of error in a lot of cases. And margin of errors can flip; that's why they're called a margin of error. They didn't show her with like landslide victories, and they showed her winning by a fair amount, a healthy amount in the popular vote total overall, which she did win by a pretty healthy amount in the 
popular vote total overall. So they, they, they weren't wrong about that. She won. She just got the wrong count of things. And, uh, you know, so were the polls really all that wrong? Uh, well, I mean, the state-by-state polls, certainly. I'm pretty certain that he wasn't ahead in Michigan and that he wasn't ahead in uh, Wisconsin and that he wasn't ahead um, in, in Virginia. I'm, I'm not sure if he no, was ahead in he North clo- Carolina. But, I mean, my not, point is, but, is that he wasn't – no, North Carolina was close. North Carolina, I'm certain, was always within the margin of error. But that's why they call it a margin of error, because the poll could be wrong to a, right. to a degree of two to three points, and also which is enough to swing it. But I mean, as and it is, but the fact that it got swung in all of those states, I mean, that's that's big because yes, he lost the, the he lost the popular vote uh, by a fairly healthy margin, but he won the electoral vote by a pretty healthy margin. This was not a by-the-skin-of-his-nose sort of thing. Yeah, but it was not this massive land. That's another thing that's driving me crazy is, like, it, like even Pence has, has – I've, I've seen a couple of quotes from Pence in the last couple of weeks that Donald Trump won by one of the greatest landslides in modern history. No. No, he didn't. Sorry, Mike. Nice try. He did not win by – he didn't really even win by a landslide. He won by a good margin. It was not a landslide. Okay, Nixon in 72, that was a landslide. And that was the greatest landslide in modern history. Did he did he beat Clinton by more than um Obama beat Romney? Uh it was around the same. I think. Yeah. Uh Obama I, I think did Obama do better in 2012 than he did in that he did in 2008? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think he did. So let's just look at that, shall we? So Barack was 332 to 206 uh, in 2012. And in 2016, the final count was, survey says, we again, we agreed we're not going to do this, but here I am fucking doing it. Um, yeah, here he's doing my it. My bad. He's doing this it. is nice and boring. No, final electoral count was 304 to 227. Yeah, so not even really by more than, you know, the last, the last presidential guy. election. Yeah. So, so, yeah, you're pretty let's far not off not overstate there. things. <laughs> Soon to be Vice President Mike Pence. Sorry, <laughs> so, I like you, but don't turn into Trump. Don't start talking like that. Uh, yeah, Come on now. This, uh, but my, my concern is, is that, again, I don't care what he tweets, but my concern is, is that it's a fair point that, that, Trump can kick his hyperbole machine into overdrive better than anybody else out there. And popular opinion polls have been a relatively useful check on the president's behavior for the most part. And if Trump can just run out and go, no, no, all those approval polls are wrong and everyone actually loves me so I can do whatever I want. I don't think that's a healthy thing for us. No, none of what he's doing from a discrediting standpoint is healthy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to argue with there. The way he tries to discredit the press is not healthy. The way that he tries to discredit the intelligence agency isn't healthy. The way that he tries to discredit the approval polls isn't healthy. None of these things are healthy. So, there you go. Well, that's fair. I don't. I have nothing else to add about that. That's that's lovely. All so, right. Settled. Yeah, that's it. Done. I mean, I, I are you going to watch? I, I have no desire to watch. I, N- no, but not because it's Trump. 
I've never watched a presidential election. I might go back in YouTube and listen to the president's speech uh, because that's what I would what I do. But I'm I'm not going to sit there and watch the inaugural parade and watch the you know the poet laureate speak. And I'm not none of these things are going to happen. Did you know that he wanted tanks? Did you hear about this? He wanted it, Who? Trump. He wanted tanks. He wanted tanks. He wanted tanks. He tried to, he tried yeah, to get he tanks, did. and the military shot him down. They said, Can I get some tanks in here, please? Come on. He, he wanted tanks, and he has insisted that he is going to have military parades going forward uh, because our military needs to be on better display than it was. He wanted tanks with missile launchers, a la Russia and North Korea. Well, all right. Now, I can see where there might be. I can see where their comparisons come in, right? Obviously, you know, yeah. we're already comparing <laughs> Trump to Putin and North Korea. Uh, I okay, yes, I get that. Now that said, do I get the idea of some military parades to try to inspire pride in our military? Because maybe under Obama, completely undeserved, in my opinion, completely undeserved. Uh, has there been some feeling that there was a loss? Uh, of pride in our military. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's true. Uh, w- whether there should be or shouldn't have been, there ha- I, th- I feel like there has been. And so the idea of a military parade to inspire and encourage, I think sounds lovely. I, I, I don't see any issue with this. The irony to me, though, is that I think that that loss in pride has largely been caused by the right. And that's what bugs me is that I haven't seen I, I as a liberal have never been prouder of of our military and of the way that a lot of uh, our operations have been conducted. I have done everything that I, I could. I think that we have con- as a generation, we have conducted ourselves in post-war care and appreciation for our veterans in a much grander fashion than our parents did. We have done a much better job of this uh, than the baby boomers coming back from uh, Vietnam because they fucked it up. They dropped the ball. Damn right. But we, we have done a much better job of that. Now, are there problems in the VA and medical care and all that stuff? Yes, absolutely. But uh, I feel like we've done a much better job of that. I think a lot of this lack of appreciation has been the Republican Party running around screaming about how weak the military is for the last eight years particularly over the during the election cycle. They couldn't stop talking about it. Uh, I, I can't argue with that. Uh, like, you're right. I mean, you can't talk about how, you know, like, um, well, just the most recent thing, you know, we Trump talked about wanting to rebuild our nukes, and everyone made a big deal out of this, right? Oh, gosh, he wants to rebuild it. President Obama just pushed a trillion-dollar upgrade to our nuclear arsenal. So, I mean, just no. Uh, Obama has not overseen some massive destruction of, of any, you know, this is not, this is simply not the case. Uh, and trying to get our troops out of wars does not signify a lack of appreciation for those troops. Uh, I think that signifies maybe some appreciation for the fact that those are our soldiers' lives that are on the line in these foreign countries. And if they don't need to be, then we need to pull them back. Um, so uh, agreed, but you know, some people in our country feel like the, the military has, has lost a little, that some pride has been lost and throwing a parade to 
inspire a little bit, I think is fine. Um, okay. As long as there aren't tanks, as long as we're not mimicking Tiananmen Square, I'm okay with this. I, you know, if we want to have military parades, that, that's fine. But tanks and missile launchers, I'm going to draw the line there. That's it. This, this can't look like something that's straight out of Stalin's playbook. That would, that would bug me if we started seeing that kind of thing. Because that's just silly. We don't need that. We're better than that. I don't know. That's me. What did you think of this Chelsea Manning thing? That's not a, that, that, that this is not on the agenda. But what what uh, shifting gears a little bit to Obama because everybody really upset, very disturbed by this in the Trump people that they. Oh my gosh! Give it a rest. President Obama has done more to prosecute leaks than all. I think it was only like all other presidents combined or something like that. I think he's, he's yeah. like double the number of prosecutions than all other presidents combined. So he he has earned he has earned the right for us to trust him a little bit. And if he feels like this person should be pardoned, then I'm completely willing to accept his judgment. I'm not going to pretend to know better. I'm not going to pretend to know jack all really about Chelsea Manning. But he has earned the credibility to display a little bit of magnanimity considering how ferociously he has gone after leaks. Yeah, I, I agree. But I, but I will admit that I was a little, yeah, when I saw it. And then I, I mean, I read a little bit more about it and I, you know, I don't, the, I, anybody that I, I, I've never, the whole WikiLeaks thing has bothered me from the beginning. And I think Julian Assange, Julian Assange has always been this creepy dickhead that everybody's finally realized that he is. Um, but I mean, I've I've told you before. I don't think that Snowden deserves a pass at all. Uh, which he uh, did not do. I don't think which he is noteworthy. No, and I don't. And I don't. Yeah, it is. Well, and and Jay, whatever the the press secretary is, actually is the one that that sold me on the Chelsea Manning thing because the press cornered him a little bit and said, "Okay, so what's the difference? Why why pardon Chelsea Manning but not Edward Snowden?" And they got, and he laid it out, man. He said, look, the difference is, is that with Chelsea Manning, he, she, it's, it's she now, right, right uh, ad, admitted what she had done, has served time, has apologized, and came clean. And that's, and whereas Snowden went and hid in Russia. Yeah. And it's tried to be a rallying point. He has never he has never apologized yeah. for this. He has maintained yeah. uh, the rightness of what he did. And nor am I making. And let's also be clear: I am not making a judgment on Snowden. You you are far more certain in your stance about Snowden than I am. Uh, you should you should watch Citizen Four if you haven't seen Citizen Four. You should look for. It. I know you're not crazy about documentaries, but if you really want to form an opinion on the guy, that's a good way to do it. Okay. Well, and and also you know and. You know, it seems fairly undeniable that regardless of whether or not he did it for the right reasons, the what we were doing was kind of sketch and did get shut down after it came to light. So, yeah, yeah. Well, again, I'm not discounting the necessary the necessity that what he did. I've read a lot of intelligence people. Longtime intelligence people who publicly have to sort of say anti-Snowden things, but privately will say, well, you know, he really didn't do that much damage in the long run. It was something that we shouldn't have been doing and we got caught and it needed to be exposed. So, you know, long term damage, not such a big deal. So they sort of wonder whether or not he should be 
you know, pardoned or what have you. But my my problem with it, it remains uh, that distinction of, of whether or not you own it. Because the thing about Snowden to me is that he like if you watch the movie, he spends a lot of the time painting himself almost like a martyr in this this I am I'm doing this for my family because I love my country. And I read I read an article today about how he reveres the Constitution and loves America and was just trying to expose something. That's fine. If you want to stand up for a principle, dude, I'm right behind you. Stand up for your principle. Do your thing. But don't pussy out in the end and run off to a place like Russia and go, oh, they'll kill me. I can't come back. You know, it's treason. Well, you know what? It may be treason, but you had a better shot under a Democratic president to get back in here safely uh, because we didn't execute Chelsea Manning for turning over everything to WikiLeaks. So why would we execute him? And if you really are standing up for a principle, then stand up for your principle. Face the music. Uh, I don't know if if part of the principle you're standing up for is that your government is not, that the go- current government is not trustworthy, uh, then I don't know. I, I kind of get the why put yourself uh, at their at their hands. Um, and I get that going to Russia seems like a shady, odd place to go, but he couldn't very well go running off to Great Britain now, could he? No, but now what? If so, okay, Edward Snowden comes back. And then mysteriously disappears. You don't think everybody's going to know what happened? Well, he doesn't have to mysteriously just mysteriously disappear. He well, can we be, lost he him. Can, we don't know what happened. He can be put before military tribunal and executed. You know, I mean, this is there's no need to make him disappear shadily. Um, you know. Hey, man. If you believe in something, sometimes you get. If you're not willing to pay the price, you know that that's, he's paid a price. He lives in Russia. That can't be fun. Well, not now. Wait, now that now that uh, now that now that his Trumpness, his his orangeness, whatever his name is, I don't. I can't call him Donald. Orange Crush. How about Orange Crush? <laughs> or, just, or just President? I mean, Orange any Crush? any of these terms, Mister President, perhaps any of these terms that you want to throw out. I like out Orange there Crush. I think Mr. President, maybe, but whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Well, not yet. That's, that comes later. Um, I, you know, it, I, I just, uh, you know, cause now, I mean, what if Putin could extradite him now? Cause you know, Putin hearts Donald. So who knows? Uh, yeah, whatever. So, okay. Which is a good thing. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Let's move on. Go go ahead. What what are you going to say? No, we're about to go. No. I mean, but we talked about the whole Russia thing. I think it is a good thing that we are hopefully moving towards normalizing our relationship with Russia. That was what we all were hoping for with the famous reset and they failed. And so now maybe we're going to succeed in normalizing relationships with them. So I, I, I am, you know, everyone talks about Tiller saying that, Oh, the friendship thing. What I am glad for all of this, you know, not in the sense that, oh, Russia is so great and they should be trusted and Putin is wonderful. No, of course not. But we're two giant powers and it doesn't, we don't, it's not, it's no good for us to be at odds all the time. So, yes, let's put, I am thrilled as hell that we put troops in Poland. Let's put even more troops over in Europe. Bullies respond to strength, but we don't have to be dicks about it. Let's try and be friends. All I know is Marco Rubio is not happy. And if Marco's not happy, Oh, then geez, I'm not. Marco. 
Whatever. Marco, Marco, Marco. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a dick. All right, moving on. We got to talk about Barack, you know, because we're, we're, we're losing Barack. This is this is this is this is a, this is our last night with 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 Obama, and I'm really terribly sad about it. But you know what? Let, let's what what do you got? I mean, you know, eight years of eight years of Barack Obama is now over with. What did you like? What didn't you like? What you gonna miss? Oh man, um, man, I'm gonna miss. So I don't remember H.W. that well. You know, I certainly don't remember Reagan at all. Um, so my entire Speaking very quickly of HW, best wishes to him and Barbara. Hope they're feeling better. They yeah, so him. glad. It sounds like he's stabilized. So just thank and, God for and, that. And and so has Barbara from what we hear. Yeah, so it's just fantastic. Um, <laughs> so I mean, they 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 all those two seem like Reagan and him seem like stand up guys, stand up inspiring people. Um, but you know, Clinton. Uh, regardless of where and I, I maybe do agree with some of his policies and a lot of the things that he did as president, um, he, he was never an inspiring figure for me. Uh, there was far too much scandal involved in there for me to ever find him inspiring. Yeah, I think that's um, And Bush was just embarrassing for me the vast majority of the time. Uh, though I, th- I think he's a good person, but as, as our leader, I was embarrassed usually. Uh, and, and with Obama, it has been the opposite. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed having as the leader of my country, someone who inspired me on a, on a regular basis, uh, when he was, whether it was through his speaking or through his actions, uh, I, he seemed like a very principled person who fought for the things they believed in, but fought for them with dignity. Um, and he, all, he, all, I, I loved listening to him talk, and so I will. I will be very sad uh, to see him go. And while I am hopeful for some of maybe policies that maybe get, get be put into place by Trump, I, I have a hard time imagining that I'm ever going to feel inspired uh, by by President by President Trump. So I, I will miss that very very much. Yeah, it's a tough bar, you know, because it. it and obviously I'm never going to look up to Donald Trump. I don't think unless something really weird happens over the course of the next four years, but it'll be difficult for me to Obama's raised the bar pretty high for me. And that's going to be a tough thing for really anybody to follow, you know, because I would have, I would have said this, honestly, I would have said the same thing about Hillary. I, I'm never going to be, I was never going to be as inspired by Hillary Clinton as I was by Obama. That was just never going to happen. Yeah. And same thing as much as I like Bo Biden or Bo Biden, Joe Biden, uh, you know, even if, if Joe Biden never did decide to run and, and, and when, you know, I, I would never have been that inspired, you know, and that's a, that's, that's, that's a tough thing. I, you know, I was, I was going to tell a story, um, because we were talking about watching the inauguration. Because I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm like you. I, I don't generally watch these sorts of things. Anyhow, if if I hear the speech is good, I'll go back and watch it later. But you know, I I I don't uh, generally watch them live. But when when Obama was uh, when Obama was working, and this is an honest to god true story, or when Obama was inaugurated in 2008, I was working at a restaurant in Nashville, uh, at the Germantown Cafe, and uh, I. I obviously that we had, there was a TV at the bar and we had the, the, the inauguration obviously was on. And, um, when he, there was a, uh, a, 
the dishwasher at the time was a he was an African American gentleman and he uh, really nice guy. Uh, and but not necessarily the sort of person that was I I wouldn't say he was terribly well educated, um, you know. But just just a, again just a really nice fella. And uh, I walked back into the kitchen as Obama was speaking to just throw something away, and Rick wasn't at the at the dish station. He was back with his back to the entire kitchen leaning against a shelf with the radio on and just listening. And it was in the middle of a lunch rush, you know, and, and he was not the type of person to neglect his job, but he had stopped to just go back there and listen. And as I walked by him, he was, there were uh, tears coming out of his eyes. Uh, I never talked to him about it. I didn't, I didn't want to bother him. It was obviously a very emotional moment, but I, as inaugurations go, that's uh, that's always been something I'm going to remember, and I I remember thinking at the time, as inspired as I, as somebody like Rick was, who I don't I don't really think gave a fig about politics. If he did, he certainly never talked about him. I remember thinking, I hope this guy lives up to this, and I think I felt like he did. You know, um, I know a yeah. lot of people don't obviously don't agree with me, but I felt like he did. I've never, I've never really had a person that was not that I was not related to that I could look at and go that's someone that I look up to it's not someone that I like because I enjoy their writing or because I you know like the movies they make or the you know or they're friends of mine or whatever but somebody that I genuinely admire as a human being and that's what Obama's been to me is that that first person that I can say if somebody could were to walk up to me and say name me a, a person that you admire Obama would be at the top of the list no doubt I, I think so for me as well, hands down. Um, you know, uh, everything from his politics to his uh, dedication to his family and uh, the way that they live and the way they conduct themselves. Just, yeah, fantastic, fantastic, amazing man. And um, I feel very blessed that I got to live during his presidency because I, I do think that he'll be looked on as, as one of the great presidents that we've had. So, um, yeah, I did, I did, I did absolutely. too. Now, all of that said, what went wrong? Anything? Well, I, I mean, you know, it was the the, the major failure, failing of his presidency is the same one that, you know, he'll point at himself and, um, you know, and you can, I, I certainly place far more of the fault with this uh, with my own party than with President Obama. Uh, while acknowledging the fact that I, I wasn't there, I wasn't involved in the backroom talks and everything, so I don't know the way Obama maybe went about things uh, behind closed doors. But the the instead of him healing that gap, uh, that gap widened, uh, and we became we we were headed towards being a more and more partisan country, and he was elected with a message of hope and coming together. And that did not happen. Um, in fact, the opposite did. So that definitely went wrong and is what led to us to electing Donald Trump. So how much of that blame you can place with him? Eh, I don't know. Aside from the fact that, you know, he's president, so the buck kind of stops there. 
But I think that's definitely something that went wrong. And then obviously Obamacare didn't has while I I you know it I did you know supported the passing of it, continued to support it. Uh, it certainly hasn't gone perfect. Uh, and in the beginning, it certainly went horrible with all of the the website stuff. And then now with the way premiums are spiking, you know, there, there's been a number of things that have gone wrong with it. So, um, and then obviously Aleppo is in Syria is, you know, I, I can't say that I would have made different calls from him. So I can't really critique him too much, uh, but it certainly didn't go the way it was supposed to. Yeah, I the Aleppo thing is tough. It's hard for me to it's hard for me to critique him on that one because I I it's like you said I don't know I don't know that the decision I, you know Aleppo was one of those rock in a hard place kind of things you know because we were so weary from you know and we've said this several times we were so weary from being in Iraq being in, in Afghanistan it limited his ability to really use the military. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know that that's, he would say that that's, he said several times that that's the decision that keeps him up at night. Um, and I don't, you know, so I, I don't know. It's, it's, it, that was an easy one. I think, I think that regardless of how that went down, I think people were going to sort of Monday morning quarterback that one. Um, the launch, the the handling of of the of the ACA, uh, is the thing that still bugs me to a certain extent. Not because, and this is not to really give any credence to the way the Republican Party handled it because they handled it like children. But at the same time, there are genuine complaints about uh, about the law, about the things that I feel like it could have done, about the things they could have done differently. Um, during the launch process, hiring the company that they hired to build the website in the first place, stupid. Why would you hire those people? Uh, and, and why didn't you do a better job selling it? And that's the place where Democrats always fail. They, the, the left just blows it. They always blow it when it comes to really driving home why their policies are better. And why these things need to, uh, why these problems need to be addressed, why some government involvement can be a good thing, can be a necessary thing, why it worked in the past towards building the middle class. And I, I really think they blew it because there's only so much the president can do. You know, I mean, the pre- because people talk a lot about the bully pulpit and the president can use that. And, yeah, to a certain extent, that's a good tool. But that's the difference between what Obama had versus what the Republicans had. The Republicans decided in 2008 they were going to ever get everybody on message. They were going to unify against Obama and block as much as they possibly could. And they got everybody on message. That was a team effort, dude. I don't know how they do it. But everybody's on message within about 30 seconds of somebody deciding it. So I don't know what kind of chips y'all got in your heads or whatever, but it works. And the Democrats can't, can't seem to pull that off. And uh, some of that, I think, has to falls on the Democratic parties and their, or, and their crappy organization. Uh, but I think it does, to a certain extent, fall on him as well. You know, because he just couldn't get the troops in line. 
Um, he was more, they were more worried, I think, early on about forcing the Republicans to do things than they were about getting their own people to fall in line and behave. And that, I think, was a mistake. Well, and let's not get too excited about um, Republicans and being on message because it is far easier to be on message when you're the opposition party and you don't have to actually put together all the pieces as and get the last the laws month passed, has shown. Right. As the last one, because if you want, if you, there is no way you can tell me now that the Republican Party is unified and on message because we are a thousand miles from that. We have a lot of different voices and a lot of different ideas. And I think this is going to be the Democrats chance to get on message. And, and unfortunately I think a lot of that on message that you see uh, is animosity towards Trump in the same way that you saw animosity towards Obama being one of the driving messages. So we'll, we'll see what happens now. Well, but a lot of a lot of Democrats think highly enough of the ACA and are passionate enough about healthcare reform that I think that they can centralize along that issue because that honestly they hold the upper hand in that argument. One, you're right, Republicans can't seem to get that their shit together on that. I don't care what kind of hyperbole they throw out there; they're not uh, unifying behind anything, and uh, that's that's one. And two, uh, the Democrats uh, can rally behind that, and and I think that they may, you know, and that's that is something that is not, uh, it's a pet issue that they can grab onto and everybody can get a hold of. It is, but and the nice thing again though is that they're the opposition party, so all they have to do is rally behind the ACA. They don't have to fix it. Because even Obama and Clinton said it needs to be fixed. But the Democrat, I don't hear a single Democrat voicing a way to fix Obamacare right now. All I hear them talking about is protecting it. Yeah, and and being content to watch the Republicans crash and burn while they try to do something without, Mm -hmm. uh, without alienating everybody. And so this is not, yeah, and it it doesn't bode well. So I'm I'm very hopeful. I I I hope and pray that the Republicans do not behave the way that the Democrats did when they got control. And I hope that the Democrats do not behave the way the Republicans did when the Republicans lost control. But so far, everything seems to point in that direction. Well, and, and we'll see. Right. And that's that's what bothered. That's what honestly, that's what bothered me. And I don't I don't know that I've ever said this on the show, but I know that, you know, I've talked about it. But what, what bothered me about the way the Republicans behaved over the course of 2008 to, you know, now, uh, particularly starting in 2010, is that the lesson of 2016 is, hey, that worked. And I'm afraid that Democrats are going to look at what Republicans did over the last eight years and go, well, we just got to do that. Because it it may have worked to get the Republicans back in power, but it didn't work for us, and that makes me nervous. So, and it should, and it makes me nervous as well. So, um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. So Obama's popularity right now is it's is at sixty percent, which is wicked high, and. Uh, I, I've loved some of the how do you like me now <laughs> headlines that I've seen all over the internet the last few days. Um, 
do you think uh, do you, do you think this this surge in popularity is as much a result of his successes or is it because you can directly contrast Obama's behavior with Trump's and Trump's behavior is even is even starting to tick off some of his most ardent supporters over the last few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you've got Obama who is, you know, doing Obama things and, and being cool and smooth and awesome. And Trump who's loses his shit over Saturday night live. Do you think it's, it, it, do you think that there's some truth to the idea that Obama is getting that popular because Trump is so unpopular? Um, I, I, I think, Yes, but not without trying to take away anything from Obama. Like, it is just brought into a very stark contrast, uh, the differences between the two, and has helped many people, I think, maybe to appreciate Obama in ways that maybe they did it before. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, in my opinion, his popularity should have been 60% this whole time, but just people didn't appreciate what... The, we didn't appreciate what we had and now we're seeing the alternative and it is bringing that into stark contrast for us. Yeah. It's definitely got, got till it's gone syndrome. I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, I think it's probably a little bit, a little bit of both, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that history is going to look back very favorably on him, uh, when it comes down to it, you know, regardless of what we've seen him go through, uh, from an opposition standpoint, the last little bit. So anyway, yeah, we're going to miss you, Barack. That's, uh, I don't know. I, that's all there is to it. So um, anyhow, uh, very quickly. So there's been we're shifting gears. Uh, last month, the, the state of Colorado, I don't know if they actually passed it, but this is something that's been thrown out there a lot by a lot of different states lately. Uh, internet sales tax laws. Uh Sales tax on 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 sales on Amazon uh, in states that don't necessarily have Amazon distribution centers. I know in Kentucky you you have to pay sales tax on Amazon because they have just they have business they do business in Kentucky, but I don't. I I, I pay no sales tax on Amazon stuff. I, I people are are somewhat griping about this somewhat. I I think it's because they don't want to start paying taxes on it, but. It's a massive revenue stream, and I don't really understand why states, why all states haven't picked up on this yet. I mean, I get that government's always a little behind technology, but come on, Amazon ain't new. I, I don't know. What, no, what, what, what do you think about this? Uh, I guess I'm responding with shock. So wait a minute, because when you were talking about this, I thought you were talking about like Netflix, you know, or Amazon, you know, Amazon Prime or Hulu or these sorts of things that don't currently have sales taxes. You're talking about actual goods that people purchase on Amazon in other states isn't taxed? No. No. You never noticed that? No. I live in Kentucky. It gets taxed. That's true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. No, you don't pay sales tax on it. I had a friend that used to... Um, because there, he, he, was a, he was a big computer guy in, in Tennessee and bought a lot of stuff off Newegg.com. He always had everything shipped to his parents' house in Indiana because Newegg had a distribution center in Tennessee. So whenever he bought, you know, a few hundred dollars worth of computer equipment, he'd have it shipped to Indiana, go pick it up at his parents' place because they didn't have to pay sales tax on it. Um, yeah, I retract what I was going to respond and say, that's goddamn stupid. Why is it everyone have to pay sales tax? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 again, you know, people, states talk about how they don't have any money. Well, I mean, what, duh. 
I mean, you know, and I, I mean beyond duh. Like I don't like. I am all for. I I'm Republican. I don't like taxes, but like. Uh, you know, there, there's there's some taxes that are dumb in the sense that you don't. You know, I, I think that uh, massive sales taxes are bad. I I think that when payroll taxes need to be adjusted, I think that when you look at how you're going to tax people, you shouldn't be taxing businesses and corporations. You should tax um, uh, you know incomes at above a certain level. Those are that should be your primary tax group. Um, so. But yeah, just basic sales taxes on goods, just because you ordered it from Amazon instead of going to the store and buying it, that's beyond stupid. Uh, be, because for for one thing, while I love Amazon and God bless the internet, it is nice to have actual stores. So if by buying something online, not only is it more convenient, but it's also cheaper because you don't have to pay a sales tax. That's enormously unfair to all of the the stores in the state. How is this not a bigger deal? I I, How are, I don't know. I'm with you. I mean, I I don't what? get it. And I and the other thing is, is that I don't. How you know, are the business the, again, owners the in those places not up in arms? I some people is uh, that it. <laughs> My head is exploding. Like I can't even. I, I'm questioning whether or not that's true. Like I just can't even believe that. That that's. That, that stores have not been in revolt for the last 10 years. They have. That people weren't paying in taxes. How do we not, how have I not heard about this? How is this not in the news? I read the news. I am well informed. God dang it. Yeah. I mean, they just, uh, they, they, they just, you know, the, here, 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 here you go. There's an article right here. Colorado, the domino leading to internet sales tax. Much has been said about Supreme Court's recent decision not to hear a case challenging Colorado sales tax law. Law will require online sellers who sell more than $100,000 in annual sales to buyers in Colorado to inform Colorado buyers of their use tax obligations, basically sales tax. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely a thing. Yeah, it only collects sales tax on 29 states in the District of Columbia as of December 30th, 2016. Wow. Wow. Yes. Duh. Duh, these things should be taxed. Um, if for nothing, no other reason than just fairness to the brick and mortar stores within those states. Well, and, it, and people talk about, I, I, there's this, I'm, one of the oppositions to it is, again, well, big government, but also the, uh, the, the uh, this adverse sales taxes have an adverse effect on the poor, which, which I get, yes, they do, but not this because honestly, more people, people in poorer areas and in poorer neighborhoods don't shop online. They go to Walmart and pay sales tax. Yes. Thank you. This is going to affect yuppies like me that, you know, that are, that are, are just too cheap to pay sales tax. Wow. I thought this was going to be about because California is wanting to tax Netflix. And so I thought that's what you were going to be talking about. No, Netflix isn't taxed either. Netflix. No, none of those things. You know, you'll know. I mean, you'll, you can see it just on your credit thing. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's nine ninety nine. Yeah. You pay seven yeah, or whatever you know, it is. Yeah. I pay. I mean, yeah, seven, eight, nine, nine, yeah. Ten sixty nine or something now. Like that's, um, yeah, I thought that's what you were going to be talking about and the pros and cons of that. And I was going to 
argue against it for the same reason I argue against any new tax is that, you know, we need to be taxing the incomes of the wealthy and not things like Netflix. Careful. Um, Starting to sound like a Democrat. Back off. No, Democrats probably want to tax Netflix. <laughs> they tax that. Right. Um, so, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's fix that. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Speaking of taxes and big government. So, we're going to we're going to do a segment on because this is this is this is an interesting thing. What we want to talk about now is 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 this concept of big government, right? This is this is this is this is the line in the sand for the two parties in our country. Democrats are the party of big government, Republicans are the party of small government. Democrats supposedly want to tax everybody and they're the evil tax people and Republicans don't want to have any government at all and they believe in the big evil corporations. So those are the two stereotypes that we're dealing with. The truth really probably more somewhere in between, but uh, but that's that's that for for ages, particularly our generation, right? This is the the anti you know government is the problem from Reagan. You know the era of big government is over from Bill Clinton. You know, and now you know you had uh, George W. Bush labeled as a big government Republican, and which he was, Obama is, which he was, and and Obama is you know a typical lefty commie big government liberal and now you've got trump who just wants to burn the whole thing down so obama had a quote that i want to read that that i that i thought was was it's a little bit racially tinged uh and i'm not certain that i agree with that the it's as cut and dried regarding race but it is an interesting place to start the discussion uh obama said what i do believe is that if somebody didn't have a problem with their daddy being employed by the federal government and didn't have a problem with the Tennessee Valley Authority electrifying certain communities, didn't have a problem with interstate highway system being built, didn't have a problem with the GI Bill, didn't have a problem with Federal Housing Administration subsidizing the suburbanization of America, and that all helped you build wealth and create a middle class, and then suddenly, as soon as African Americans or Latinos are interested in availing themselves of these same mechanisms as ladders into the middle class, you now have a violent opposition to them then I think you at least have to ask yourself the question of how consistent you are and what's different and what's changed. First of all, that's boiling down an awful lot of things in a remarkably eloquent way, which the guy's just good at. So two questions. One, the racial points that he's making are fascinating, not something I had ever considered. But also, all of those things were government programs done in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they gave us a ton of what we have today. I don't think any of them would pass muster today. Was that big government? And what constitutes big government? What do we see as big government? I say, you say big, I say big government, you say what? Uh, I would say that in the 1950s, the federal government spent a total of $301 billion in real, in today's money terms. And the federal government that currently is spending in about $1.6 trillion. So some government programs are good. All the government programs are a little much. Do you think, okay, do you think that something like the TVA, if it were proposed, 
today or the idea of building the interstate highway system. You know, say we were going to do, I don't know, light rail nationwide. That's a big and those are big, ambitious projects. Would they would, would something that ambitious really get, get by today? Look, well, probably not. But the problem is that, you know, you, 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 you can't hardly even compare the two eras because you look back then we didn't have this massive debt and the government just wasn't that huge. Like I said, three hundred billion dollars in today's terms, 90 billion in the actual money of back then. So sure, there was plenty of room and and need to have some some big massive programs. For heaven's sakes, we were rebuilding from a war, um, couple of wars, couple of wars. So great, but now it's gotten so bloated that you can't make room for the good necessary stuff. That's that's fair. I and and I and I agree to a certain extent that comparing the two I think one of the follies that that a lot of liberals get into now is to try to compare the two eras as though they're apples to apples because they're not you're right you didn't in the 50s you didn't have this year decades worth of growth behind you from a government standpoint that you had to contend with and now you have all this growth that you got to try to figure out what to do you know because that was before the war on poverty too so you know which is a whole nother set of mess so um the uh i i don't know what okay so of all of these things that that we talk about is uh, that democrats that republicans talk about as being big government that they want to get rid of like Food stamps programs, for example, the they don't want to get rid of food stamps just to well make sure that's a, clear. A, any sort of well, like, but that's the but they paint anybody that's on sort of government assistance as takers. They have this idea of that there's that there are people who just take and take and take from the government, and and food stamps is sort of the the poster child for that. You know what I mean? All right, so. so- all right, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go for it. Ready. All right. So you have unfortunate phrases, right, that you can grab onto and take away from, say, Romney, the famous takers line, right? Um, but the real thing that Republicans are trying to fight against, right, and this is what Ro- Romney, or not Romney, Ryan is very good at laying this out. Um, what we are trying to fight against is the welfare trap, right? And that is the fault of our means-based welfare system. And it creates a very real trap, right? (laughs) Show of hands, who's been on food stamps and Medicaid? Uh, Okay, this guy, all right, me. So let let me break it down for you what happens. You get punished for working, is what happens. You get punished for getting a raise. So I sold my restaurant and came out, came out to here, do missionary work, all that stuff, right? The restaurant, when I sold my restaurant, I was expecting to be able to live off of that income for a little bit and such, and then all hell broke loose and he failed and blah, blah, blah. And then so suddenly I was a missionary with no money. 
and had to go on food stamps and still am on food stamps and had to go on Medicaid. And now I am realizing missionaries not working and moving out and getting a job and all these things. And my real tax rate is going to be insane because I'm now going to go accept job and make more money, not a ton of money. I'm going to be a teacher, but enough to get me out of where the government's going to be willing to help me at all. So suddenly I'm going to lose $500 a month in food stamp benefits and I'm going to lose thousands of dollars a month in medical assistance. Because you're not even just with Medicaid. I mean, one thing is the premium, right? So suddenly I'm going to be paying six, $700 a month for premiums for my family. Not to mention the fact that I go to the doctor now with Medicaid. Medicaid pays everything. But once I get off of Medicaid, not only am I paying six, $700 a month in premiums, now I'm paying also for my deductible and my coinsurance and all of that. So there's all of those expenses. All because I went from making 20000 to making 40000 So basically my entire raise is going to just go to things that are currently already, that are currently being handled by the government. And so I'm not going to see any real change in my lifestyle. And a very obvious, clear question is, why would I do that? If I'm, going to, if I'm going to have to work harder just to maintain the exact same living standard, why would I do that? And that's the welfare trap. And that's what Republicans are trying to fix and fight and find a way to stop. And that's where you start to get into ideas that Obama put forth. He put forth the idea of wage insurance, and it's exactly the sort of thing you need to do. And Republicans have put forth ideas about upping, you know, if someone gets a job, then they'll raise, you know, so their, their job will pay them X number of dollars, and then the government will tack on an extra couple bucks an hour, Right. So that, that's what Republicans are wanting to do. And it's a real serious problem. Well, and it's got nothing to do with race. Then why not? But see, why not sell it that way? That's, that's, that's the, that's the no problem. No one listens. Ryan is. He's saying it all the time. But Ryan must be the only one. Because the, that's, what, and, that's what the TAMP reforms were. That the Republicans put in this, the place. Yeah, but this is not just Paul Ryan. This is this is decades at this point worth of Republican griping over food stamp programs, and the way that they gripe about it, and then frankly the way. And look, I'm not just picking on Republicans because Democrats just pitch it as though uh, the Republicans play into it, and the Democrats just continue to pitch it as though, well, we have to. Give we have to help all the poor people, and Republicans don't want to help all the poor people. And Republicans come back and say, "Well, we don't, we, you know, that's big government. We can't help poor people, and the poor people are just taking stuff off the regular average working person." And blah 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 blah. And it's just this endless cycle. And what you just laid out are perfectly reasonable arguments for this. Bottom line, you should be in charge. Let me throw some numbers. I at should you. be. I'm going to take down Bevin. It's on. Uh, please do. Please do. Yeah. Please do. 
guy's a oh. douche. Anyway, I'm going to run as a pro-life Democrat, a pro-life some, small government Democrat. There you go. Let's do let it. Me, let me throw some numbers at you. And this is just to play devil's advocate because we've we, we've talked a lot about how much we like Obama, and this is great. But let me just throw this out there. But I, I read an article because Fox News, being the Fox News morons that they are, had wondered whether or not the entire SNAP program, food stamps, should be canceled because 0.09% of the spending is fraudulent. There is a less than one-tenth of one percent of the 44 million people uh, that are out there on in the SNAP program. Less than one-tenth of one percent, there is some amount of fraud going on. And this has caused to get, kick out the entire program. we got a, you know this, this horrible rate of fraud that is just non-existent, um, which they could save more money doing any number of things uh, that would help. But this led me to the uh, SNAP program's participation overall and cost. So if you look at the entire program from when it started, uh, in 1969 to today, starting at about 1979, 1980, the average participation fluctuated around 20 million people. Okay. And plus minus three or four million, anywhere from 18 to 23. And that number for the most part held steady. There were some trends where it would go down for a while and then it would come up, but it never really got much higher than 25 million until you get to 2005, 2006, and then it starts to rise. And then in 2008, we had about 28 million, and then it shot way the hell up in 2013 when it hit its peak at 47 million. To 2016, now it's back down to 44. But regardless, it it almost that sort of that fluctuation point under Obama more than doubled. And the amount of money spent on the program on a monthly basis went from $33 billion to $70 billion. $33 billion in 2005, $37 billion in 2008, to $70 billion now. So the amount of money that we spent in food stamps under Obama doubled. Why? Is it all a result of the 2008 crash? Is this just chickens coming home to roost because we didn't meet the challenges of the 20th century or 21st century, like everybody said we were going to? Uh, yeah, I think that's a major factor. Can you, can you lay any of that at Obama's feet? Well, uh, only in the sense that we didn't fix the system, right? You know, 2008 happened, you had to help people, right? And, but... 2008 it's over. The economy is not going gangbusters, but we have one of the best economies in the world at this point. And our unemployment rate is beyond low. Um, but I, I think what happened is 46 million people got hooked by the welfare trap. And it is real hard to get out of it. I'm going to go leaping out of it because I have a master's degree and business experience and all of these things, uh, well-off parents who have always supported me. Like I'm there, there's no trap for me. Like I can sit here and look at it and go, dang, this is going to suck, but I'm going to jump right out and go do my thing. But a lot of people don't have that level of opportunity. And they've gotten snagged by the welfare trap, and now they're stuck. There they are. 
Right. And and the the lesson of all this to me is this is this is this idea that we have got to get politicians that get out of this mode of thinking of big government versus small government and start to look at it from a standpoint of what is efficient versus what, you know, what's working and what's not working, not a standpoint of you want big government. I want small government and never the twain shall meet. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess that's just going into the whole partisan divide, which, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. We need to work together and all these sorts of things without trying to stereotype the other is, some form of ridiculousness on some form of the political spectrum. Um, but honestly, my, I mean, <laughs> I, I, maybe the be- the term would be better government <laughs> instead of big government versus small government, just better because there are certain things that the, I feel like the government's going to do better. Uh, one of which is healthcare. I think that that's a role that it, the way that healthcare has evolved the government should play a larger role in. Now, maybe that doesn't mean with a ton of regulations. And here I go on my universal basic income uh, preachy speech. That's the only, hey, dog, to I'm me, that is the Preach, only baby. solution. Right. That That is the only solution for stopping the welfare trap is if we cut all of these programs uh, and give people a basic income. And say, here you go, here's $1,000 a month, doesn't matter how much you make or whatever, you've got $1,000 a month as your cushion. Done. I'm, I'm right there with you, boss. I mean, I, I you know, we, we had that, we had that, we had that. And, and that's, right there, you, could, you sold me on yeah, that. Yeah, and, and to me, that that's the blend between small and big government, because our issue with big government isn't necessarily the idea of government paying for certain things to be done our problem comes into play with just the ridiculous number of regulations that go along with government involvement. Um, a, a major example that, that, I, that is the, is the 2008 crisis, right? So this stems from, this stemmed from the subprime mortgage crisis. And this demonstrated some flaws in the banking system. And so we come up with Dodd-Frank, and that's the thing that everyone jumps on. So let me highlight a very specific, real thing for you, right? Before 2008, uh, you were able to do exactly what I did, which was become a first-time home buyer, and instead of buying a single-family home, you could buy a multi-unit place. So we bought a duplex. Now, I didn't make that much money. So I, the bank wouldn't loan me enough money to buy a duplex. But hey, if you already had a lease in place on the other side, they would count that lease as part of your income and say, okay, yes. And that's what happened. They said, okay, yes, now you do. Now you make enough money, you can buy this duplex. And this has been a lifesaver for us and has sort of laid a foundation for steady growth. Right. Yes. And because of two. So this is a good thing. This is a fantastic, intelligent, smart money thing that people can do and they can do it. Even they could they could do it even more. They could buy a fourplex, count three of the leases towards their income, live in one of them. Boom. Most intelligent financial decision you could make. One of the best forms of investments that you could make as someone who didn't have a lot of money to invest. Nothing beat this. And they got rid of it. 
because of 2008. The government came in with all their regulations and all their stuff, came in with a sledgehammer and destroyed that opportunity for everyone who came after me. Okay, I'm 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 not I'm not going to argue that point, but the and and I get the idea that a lot of times you know government has a tendency to to use an axe when they really need a butter knife, but that uh, you know I think that the, a lot of this comes back to this point that it can't be about big government versus small government anymore. It's got to be more about like you said, better government, efficient government things along those lines. I just think that the, the two parties are phrasing their arguments all wrong anymore because there are, it's like you said, there are things that the government can like with healthcare that they can, that they have to be able to drive things and force the market to do stuff. Maybe not through regulation, but at least through, uh, you know, I, I read it through encouragement. Like I, a, a lot of what there was an entire write up on Politico that I'll send you about. It's called Obama's hidden legacy. And it's all of these little things that, Obama has done over the last few years that that uh, that that no one talks about, but like even Republicans don't want to get rid of. They were talking about Elaine Chow's uh, uh, confirmation hearing and uh, how they talked about this Tiger Grant thing that that everybody loves. It was part of the stimulus bill that everybody crabbed about, but then this one thing uh, stands for transportation investments generating economic recovery that. States fight over these grants. They love it because it gets all these transport smaller transportation projects through. Um, there's this this push now that the CDC really kind of thinks that our next really big challenge is going to be these antibiotic resistant bacteria and bugs that are killing more and more people. Well, the problem mm-hmm. right now is that nobody wants right. to invest in trying to fix them because there's no money in it. So none of the drug companies are actually working towards fixing this. Nobody seems to care because there's no money in antibiotic research. So who gives a shit? Well, that's where government really should be finding ways to incentivize that sort of research. Right. The government, this has been put out there by many people. The government can, can, and it's also been put out there as a, a way to fix the problem with uh, patents that could put on drugs that prevent uh, generic drugs from being put in a place at cheaper rates. The idea that the government should sponsor prizes, basically, for companies that are able to make breakthroughs. And so the gov- they succeed. Government gives them a giant chunk of money and the drugs get made generic and sold cheaply to consumers across the world. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Bob's your uncle. And- Right. Yeah. And that's something government can do because you can't just, mm-hmm. that's one of those things that, especially when it comes to medical stuff, you can't just leave it to the power of the you know, Reagan's magic of the marketplace. Because if you leave people's lives and health to the magic of the marketplace, then it becomes entirely about money and then people can't get taken care of. Agreed. And as long as we're talking about healthcare, I mean, we, some Republicans have put out very good ideas. And things that I firmly stand behind on ways that we can fix Obamacare and how we can adjust the credit system. Ryan specifically, his whole idea with making tax credits based on age instead of upon income. So therefore, it's no longer a matter of the welfare trap. Everyone gets this tax credit. And then other people put out ideas, the same idea that I've been putting out there, that you have HSA accounts. Great. A lot of people can't afford to be saving money, so the government, boom, puts 
jumpstarts them with $1,000 a year into their health savings account. These are the sorts of things that government can do efficiently without a ton of regulation that no one but the government can do. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that, th- these are efficiency matters. That to me is not a matter of just purely big government versus small government. You see what I'm saying? No, absolutely. And too often, undoubtedly, the Republican Party comes across as small government for the sake of small government, rather than pushing the fact that we're for small government in the sense of we want an efficient government. Right. And and I th- and I think Democrats too often come across as the party that wants to, you know, just hand out cash. And I, you know, and frankly, I'm sorry, a lot of the 2016 election cycle didn't really do a lot to ease those concerns because you look at what a lot of Bernie was proposing and it was just, you know, I, I think I even said that, you know, the 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 entire you read the Democratic platform and it was sort of like Santa Claus government, you know, in a lot of ways. And we just can't afford to look at it that way anymore. It has to be mm-hmm. the argument has to be rephrased. So. Absolutely. There you go, America. We fixed it. Why the hell are you paying more attention to us? Anyway, that's all we got for tonight. We're done. We're awesome. We've solved all of your problems right there. Have you anything else to add? No, but I definitely have something cool. Fantastic. Take us out with something cool. So when I opened up Bubba's, I desperately wanted to use it as an opportunity to give people a second chance. And I remember I hired someone who had just gotten out of prison uh, and unfortunately Bubba's did not do particularly well at the beginning. I had to lay off like two thirds of my staff, uh, including this gentleman. But fortunately there are restaurants out there that are far more successful for mine was in the beginning. And one particular fine dining restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio has hired over 200 former criminals, none of whom have reoffended. And I think that is amazing and fantastic. What's the name of the restaurant? Edwin's Edwin's Edwin. Hell I want to drive to Cleveland and work there now. That's very cool. Especially when you hear about the recidivism rate for a lot of people. That's mm-hmm. Because people talk about that all the time. That's fantastic. Good on them. Wow. It is. It is. He runs them through on a six-month rotation, and then 90% of them have gone on to gain permanent employment. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is, uh, that's, that's outstanding. Yeah. No, that, those, those people should be commended. That's uh, very cool. All right. Well. That's all we got. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, enjoy your 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 enjoy your new president, uh, as I'm sure you are by the time that you've heard this. Uh, check us out on Twitter. I'm at Libcon Matt. Tim is at Libcon Tim. Uh, have an outstanding week. We'll talk to you next time.